0: Hello everyone and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris and this is At Home In My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. This episode contains spoilers for the film iRobot with Will Smith. I will not give any further warnings about this, so if you want to avoid them, skip this episode until you've seen the movie. I've had a few things rattling around in my brain recently and one I've thought about discussing for a while had to do with literary figures in Western literature. A while back, I talked on another program about the parallels to Abraham in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis used in the movie Batman Begins. That presentation was well-received, and since then I've thought about doing more like it. As someone who studied a lot of Western literature in college, I feel conflicted about courses offered in public schools on Bible studies, which are promoted as lessons in recognizing Christian influences in Western lit and culture. The courses, if they're offered in a context of good faith, really can be productive and useful. But in the current climate, it's hard to imagine some districts, schools, or teachers wouldn't take advantage of the situation. I had the good fortune to talk to a young person a few months ago who actually had a course like that taught in her school. She had a good experience with it and said it was professionally handled and helped her understand exactly what it was intended to teach. Although I can't endorse my indoctrination as a child, I can say that my familiarity with Bible and Bible stories has helped me in recognizing patterns and themes in all sorts of Western media. And I do think that these traditions, which come back again and again, are for good or for ill, part of our cultural literacy at this point. We have too much invested in them going forward to not understand them. It's sad to me that we have to even worry about being able to appropriately consider these texts as historic influential literature because folks with an agenda to promote it as a literally true religious narrative can't allow the texts to simply be texts. That caveat notwithstanding, I hope we can look at the texts as texts and delve into how to recognize these themes in modern works. A particular film that I thought did an interesting job of weaving a few biblical characters and themes into the story was I, Robot, with Will Smith. Just to provide some personal background, I first read Asimov's I, Robot as a child in elementary school. The primary question it seemed to ask is whether something not human should be granted entry into the social contract in play in human societies if that thing is able to express agency that demonstrates an understanding of rights and obligations within the society. I've seen renditions of the story on screen, but it's not really an action-packed story, so for me, while I know it's subjective, it was a snooze fest. I prefer the story on page to on screen. When I finally got around to seeing the Will Smith version, I was already a bit prejudiced against it, because it seemed nothing like the Asimov story. However, After watching it, I had to admit that they were able to completely rewrite the narrative and yet still address the core concern of the original piece. The film doesn't claim to be the novel, and it's simply loosely based on Asimov's story. After the first time I watched it, though, it haunted me a bit. It wasn't a great film, it was average, and some parts were awkward. But I knew there was something I wasn't getting— One thing that bugged me about it was a particular scene where Spooner stands looking out at the ruins of the Mackinac Bridge, where it once spanned a substantial body of water as it does today. Except now, where there was once water, there's a barren desert. There's a plaque identifying it, and the director makes sure to draw the viewer's attention to it the entire rendered future scene serves no apparent purpose since all that happens is that Spooner crosses this water-turned desert to get to a location where the robots are warehoused. It isn't difficult to cross. It's just barren. The question that bugged me was why a director or a writer would take such pains to create something this intricate for a location that only serves as a distance between point A and point B. And further... Why make sure the viewers see a plaque explaining what it is they're looking at? What was so important about this scene? Why was it an environment changed from a massive body of water to a desert? The story didn't need a desert or a barren landscape. What it needed was a desert that used to be a large body of water. What was the significance of me knowing that Spooner was about to cross dry land that symbolized water. I had to watch the movie three times before it hit me. Spooner is walking on water. He is Jesus, or the literary Christ figure. It was a long time later when I saw the film again, but what I found interesting were a few scenes where the director uses reliance on the two literary figures pulled from the Bible in order to make the viewer believe the story is being misdirected. While the Christ figure is by far the most popular, the Adam figure can also be used in literature. The figures are very similar, but there's one key difference that helps distinguish them. The Christ figure is good while confronted with and understanding evil. The Adam figure is naive and lacks understanding of evil. It's very clear from the outset that Sonny the Robot has a religious framework in relation to Dr. Lanning, his, quote, creator, or, quote, father. These are biblical labels representing God. Compare them to terms like architect or designer or maker. While these may occasionally be substituted for God, they're not nearly as common in church tradition as father and creator, both of which are clues to religious context in the film. One misdirection is that the robot is named Sunny, which would indicate a Christ figure as the Son of God. Again, it's true that humankind is also referred to using that label, children of God, sons and daughters of God, but it's simply not as prominent as the reference to Christ. When you ask a Christian, who is the Son of God, they are not going to immediately think of mortals, but Jesus. This is relevant because early on in the movie, the robot's nature is not clear. We suspect it may have had a hand in a murder, but we can't be sure. If the robot is in fact a Christ figure, we would expect it to understand the implications of a murder, but not to engage in it. The robot would be savvy, but innocent, so long as Dr. Lanning himself does not turn out to be an evil character. Once we get a chance to see Sonny engage in an exchange of ideas... It doesn't take long to see the childlike nature and realize he isn't fully competent to grasp the ethical considerations of the crime he's accused of. Sonny is, without a doubt, the creation of God as Adam the man, and not as Christ the Savior who's destined to battle and defeat evil in the form of Satan. This episode is not intended to be a deep dive or thorough examination of the themes and characters in this film. It's just a quick Cliffsnose version of the type of situations a person might recognize in a movie that helps them make sense of the plot once these parameters are put in place. That being said, let's look at a few scenes. In one scene, Spooner is waylaid in a tunnel and attacked by aggressive robots. During the altercation, Spooner is harmed and we learn that his arm is robotic and not human. We learn his backstory that he was injured and surgically repaired using robot parts. The doctor who performed the surgery is none other than Sonny's creator and father, Dr. Lanning. And in further scenes, we discover that the repair job on Spooner is uniquely extensive. This reveals a few key variables to the viewer to help us recognize a Christ figure in Spooner. First, he has the same God creator and father as Sonny, our Adam. Next. That God created Spooner as a hybrid of robot and human, something uniquely so. This is significant because an important identifier of the Christ is that he was both God and human, which was a requirement for the plan of salvation, that God would live and die in human form while still retaining divinity. Contrast this with the information learned later about Sonny, that he is unique as well, Built with a special alloy, we later learn was prepared for him for a special purpose. Sonny, again, misdirects viewers by expressing he is unique and special and that he has a special purpose. All attributes one would expect from a Christ figure. But Sonny lacks the hybrid status that only Spooner can claim. At one point in the film, Sonny insists that he can dream. When Spooner expresses skepticism, Sonny draws his dream as an image on a sheet of paper. The image is immediately familiar to anyone with a background in church history and tradition. It shows a man standing on a hilltop. At the base are people, surrounding the hill as an audience. The man on the hill is clearly there as a beacon or leader. This imagery is the Sermon on the Mount, which has been portrayed in paintings for centuries. Sonny says that the people surrounding the hill are slaves, and the man on the hill has come to free them. This is a Christ mission, to save humankind from Satan. Or, in the case of a movie where humans are in the role of God and robots play the part of humans, it's the job of the figure on the hill to save robot kind. Sonny is also asked if he knows why Dr. Lanning built him, and he answers no, but I believe my father made me for a purpose. We all have a purpose. Again, this language is heavy-handed Christian vocabulary and indicates a human perspective. But let's examine how this scene attempts to misdirect the viewer, and how a savvy viewer can predict the outcome. After Sonny draws the image, Dr. Calvin assumes the figure on the hill is Sonny. If we understand that Sonny is an Adam figure and Spooner is the Christ figure, then we should expect this to be wrong the image on the hill has to be Spooner. But how can that be since he and Sonny have only just recently met? I recall specifically thinking, no, wait, this is wrong, when I watched the film again sometime later and have forgotten the plot details. Sonny later explains that the figure in his dreams is actually Spooner, whom he's met only recently. The audience, then, is left to wonder how it's possible that Sonny has been having dreams about someone he didn't know until just recently. So if we understand the role of these figures in religious tradition and translate that to the story, we can actually make predictions about their behavior and how the plot should unfold. Another scene that offers a similar predictive quality is the scene where our protagonists are attempting to deliver deadly nanites into the large mainframe known as Vicky. Vicky is the antagonist and would-be Satan in the analogy. In this sequence, we learn that the special alloy protecting Sonny is intended to allow him to pass through a dangerous barrier to retrieve nanites. Again, this sows some confusion as the viewer struggles with the idea that Sonny, not Spooner, is intended to deliver the death blow to the antagonist which would be analogous to evil or Satan in the biblical narrative. In Christian tradition, this is wrong. Adam does not destroy evil, but rather is incapable of doing so, which is the whole reason salvation through Christ is necessary to save humankind. In addition to understanding this must be Spooner's role, we have the testimony of Sonny himself attesting to the fact that it was Spooner on the mountain who would be the savior. So how can Sonny be the vehicle for delivering the nanites? Once again i remember sitting and thinking no this is all wrong but sunny retrieves the nanites and bursts into the room with vicky where spooner and dr calvin are engaged with an army of aggressive robots dr calvin is dangling over an expanse holding on for dear life as spooner struggles to overcome a horde of attackers he is too far away to help her and upon seeing sunny he shouts to him save her save the girl. It's worth noting that girl in this instance is not a sexist accident. It's a reference to a parallel situation from Spooner's past and the reason for his injury. Briefly, the accident also involved a little girl. A robot witnessed the event and rushed to assist. The robot determines that Spooner has greater odds of survival and saves his life letting the child die despite Spooner's screaming to the robot that it should focus on saving the child and let him die. Spooner indicates that a human would have tried to save the child regardless of the situation, so this becomes the pivotal point where Sunny's humanity is being tested. The scene, as it appears, seems to be Spooner instructing Sunny to allow Vicky to survive and enslave humanity because the immediate need to save Dr. Calvin's life takes precedence, in the same way the near-hopeless rescue of a little girl took precedence over his own life in the original accident. Like the dream scene, we're faced with an impossible situation. Sonny cannot possibly exercise his special purpose and deliver the nanites unless he's willing to allow his friend, Dr. Calvin, who saved his life in an earlier scene, to die. Sonny assesses the situation and realizes he's at an impasse. He asserts himself to Spooner, saying, I must apply the nanites. Spooner angrily shouts back that Sonny needs to save Dr. Calvin. In response, Sonny hurls the vial of nanites at Spooner and launches himself toward Dr. Calvin, clearing the way for the analogy to get back on track as Spooner, our Christ figure, defeats Vicky as Satan, by delivering the nanites. This isn't a movie review, and I'm not suggesting anyone watch it or even saying the film is something worth watching. I'm just using it as an example of how classic themes can be seen in modern media and how they can be used to interpret and understand current works in which they appear. This is certainly not exclusive to biblical narratives and characters either. In fact, I just watched the movie Django Unchained on Netflix a few weeks ago. That film was very open about leaning on Siegfried and Brunhilde from Norse mythology. Greek myths are also often used or referenced. And there are many more. It's just one more layer of competency around narrative interpretation that folks can learn about if they think it would be fun or useful. I'm including some links about literary figures and themes in the description for folks who are interested in learning more. I hope you enjoy it.